Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Hey, welcome back to our series, The New Normal. If you didn't watch last week's sermon from Pastor Shane, I highly recommend it. Because this week, we're going to be piggybacking on Shane's sermon, because once again, we see a shift, a new normal taking place in Scripture. It's the beginning of the end, and an absolute devastating moment for the people of God. Their glory days are well behind them. The kingship that they demanded isn't going as well as they thought it would. King David is gone, and King Solomon has failed to be faithful to God. Instead, he instituted idol worship, building temples to every god his 1,000 wives worshipped, introducing these religions to the people of Israel, and as a penalty, God promised not only to take the kingdom from his family line, but divide the kingdom of Israel. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 11. It says, So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant and my decree which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Now this is the first that we hear of the divided kingdom, which became Israel's new normal for hundreds of years. And the subordinate that God was talking about, who would rip the kingdom away from Solomon's son, was a man by the name of Jeroboam. Now Jeroboam, he got his start rebuilding the walls of David's city for King Solomon. And when Solomon saw how talented he was, he put him in charge of the entire labor force. Then Jeroboam gets word from God that he has been selected to be the next king. Verse 29 through 33 says, One day as Jeroboam was leaving Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah from Shiloh met him along the way. Ahijah was wearing a new cloak, and the two of them were alone in the field. And Ahijah took hold of the new cloak he was wearing, and he tore it into twelve pieces. Then he said to Jeroboam, Take ten of these pieces, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon, and I will give ten of the tribes to you. But I will leave him one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. For Solomon has abandoned me. Then verse 37 says, And I will place you on the throne of Israel, and you will rule over all that your heart desires. If you listen to what I tell you and follow my ways and do whatever I consider to be right, and if you obey my decrees and commands as my servant David did, then I will always be with you. I will establish an enduring dynasty for you as I did for David, and I will give Israel to you. Because of Solomon's sin, I will punish the descendants of David, though not forever. Now, I got to press pause on the story and just say that the whole book of 1 Kings reminds me of a mafia movie. I mean, you got families of power and loyalties at play, power grabs, murder, and successions happening. It's a crazy story. So if it helps you, you can think of Jeroboam like a young Jimmy Hoffa. He's got the ear of the working class Israelites. He knows he's up next for the throne, but it's a tricky situation with the king of Solomon still around. Now, Jewish tradition says that leading the workers is what made Jeroboam realize how unfair it was to institute this forced labor program for Solomon's building projects, and he saw that as his perfect opportunity to make his move. So young Jeroboam Hoffa and, uh, begins his rebellion against Solomon's leadership. And God was about to put him on the throne of Israel and turn his family line into a dynasty like that of David's. It was so close he could taste it. All he had to do to keep power was listen to God, follow his ways, obey his commands, and God would never leave him. Lock that away for later. Because all that stuff sounds super easy, right? Well, not that easy. Obviously, Solomon didn't like hearing this. He saw Jeroboam as a threat, and he attempts to whack him. You see, Solomon thought he could defeat God's will in all of this. 
but he was unsuccessful. God's word through the prophet proved to be true. And Jeroboam catches wind of this plot to off him, and he goes into witness protection in Egypt. So Solomon eventually dies, and his son Rehoboam inherits the family dynasty. But Rehoboam didn't get off to a fast start either. His first request from the Israelite people was to reduce the taxes and ease the workload that his father had implemented. Now, Rehoboam had some pretty big shoes to fill. His father was the wisest man the earth had ever seen. And when we look at how he handled the situation at the beginning, we see that Rehoboam must have learned something because he waits to respond to their request until he can actually seek counsel. Now, that seems pretty wise. So Rehoboam goes to the elders and he asks for their advice. And they tell him that if he showed kindness and a servant's heart to the people, that they would love and serve him forever. Now, that was good advice. Pretty easy. Head on back to your people, Rehoboam. Wait, wrong way. No, not that way. Oh, geez. Apparently, it wasn't what Rehoboam wanted to hear. Instead, he asked for some of his younger peers for their advice. And they tell him that if he gives in now, his people will mistake his kindness for being soft. And worse yet, he'll never have Uh, He'll never gain their respect ever again. Instead, this is an opportunity to be the more feared king, more feared than his father ever was. And so in an attempt to start his leadership off strong, he decides it would be best to do so with a demonstration of power and authority. And he denies the request of his people to lighten the workload and reduce the taxes that his father had implemented before him, which was not a smart move. And we can learn from this situation even today because this is a a common phenomenon, what some people call advice shopping. It's the idea that you keep asking for different people for advice or wisdom until you find someone who will tell you exactly what you want to hear. You want an example of that? Get on any social media site and look up a COVID article from a scientist, and in the comments section, you'll find people who are in the same breath disagreeing with what the study says while making the claim that we need to trust science. Just not that science. You see, people want to listen to what science says, but only if science agrees with what they believe to be true themselves already. Now, there's plenty of other examples out there, but the lesson to be learned here is simply that this is an unwise and ungodly way to seek counsel for our lives. It's better to have a few trusted counselors to listen to, even when they tell you what you don't want to hear, than to keep seeking counsel until you hear what you want to hear. But this situation Rehoboam is dealing with, it's not all of his fault either. This goes back to 1 Samuel and what Shane shared with us in his message last week. God warned the Israelites what it would mean to institute the system of a king. He warned them that no matter how good and honorable a king was, a king would take things from them. And so the people have to take some ownership here as well. It was their disobedience and their choice to turn away from God that led them to this point. Regardless, Rehoboam loses his people's trust, their respect, and is basically run out of town. Again, we're seeing God's will lived out amidst the chaos and division of the nation of Israel. And this can be a stumbling block for the non-Christians and the new Christians who would look at this situation and point to God as the one who is causing Solomon, Rehoboam, Jeroboam to sin in order to make his plans to divide the kingdom come true. This couldn't be farther from the truth. Yes, God is in this situation, but he did not cause Rehoboam to choose to follow the counsel of his younger peers over his elders. Charles Spurgeon once said, Notice also, dear friends, that God is in events which are produced by the sin and the stupidity of men. This breaking up of the kingdom of Solomon into two parts was the result of Solomon's sin and Rehoboam's folly. Yet God was in it. This thing is from me, saith the Lord. God had nothing to do with the sin or the folly, but in some way which we can never explain, in a mysterious way in which we are to believe without hesitation, God was in it all. And I think we can find comfort in believing that. 
Well, let's get back to the story. So the Israelites instate Jeroboam as their new king. Jeroboam begins his reign during this hectic time. And he starts by putting his building skills to work as he turns Shechem into his capital city. He did this because the existing capital city of Jerusalem was in the territory of Judah, the tribe that did not belong to him. And then suddenly, self-doubt creeps in. In verse 26, we get a glimpse into the mind of Jeroboam. It says, Jeroboam thought to himself, unless I can, am careful, the kingdom will return to the dynasty of David. When these people go to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord, they will again give their allegiance to the king, Rehoboam of Judah. They will kill me and make him their king instead. You see, the Mosaic law was still in place. Just because the kingdom was now divided didn't mean that the Israelites didn't have to follow the traditional norms of, and celebrations and treks back to the temple in Jerusalem each year. And Jeroboam realized this, which is weird because on one hand, he remembered this law still stood. And yet on the other hand, he forgot what God had told him to do specifically regarding the law. Remember that list of things that God told him to do to remain in power? Yeah, Jeroboam didn't. He threw trust out the window. Faithful obedience? Yeah, that went with it. He drifted away from God's word. In Deuteronomy 17, there are detailed instructions for kings. It says, when the king takes the throne, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of his law. Jeroboam skipped this step. Instead, he reverts back to what he knows. He knows his people. And so he thought to himself, how can I prevent this from happening? He tries to think of a way to get his people to skip through the tradition of going all the way to Jerusalem to bring their offering to God at the temple because he believes that when they do, they'll be reminded of once they, what they once had. Instead, he knows that human beings tend to choose the more convenient option when given a choice. Therefore, people would see the idea of having an idol in Bethel or Dan that would replace the trip all the way to Jerusalem as a good thing. He used religion as a way to serve his purpose and his needs. And if we dig deeper into Jeroboam's motivations, we see that he wasn't looking out for his people's best interest. He was really just afraid. He was afraid of losing the people. He was afraid of losing his position. And he was afraid of losing his life. And instead of listening to God and trusting in God's promises, Jeroboam rebels. He trades in faith for fear. And it's the perfect example of how not to handle chaos and doubt. To make matters worse in a kingdom already torn apart, torn apart because of idolatry, Jeroboam doubles down on the very sin that God was judging them over. Verse 28 says, So on the advice of his counselors, the king made two gold calves. He said to the people, It is too much trouble for you to worship in Jerusalem. Look, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of Egypt. He placed these calf idols in Bethel and in Dan at either ends of his kingdom. But this became a great sin for the people who worshiped the idols, traveling as far north as Dan to worship the one there. Jeroboam also erected buildings at the pagan shrines and ordained priests from the common people, those who were not from a priestly tribe of Levi. And Jeroboam instituted a religious festival in Bethel, held on the 15th day of the 8th month, in imitation of the annual festival of shelters in Judah. There at Bethel, he himself offered sacrifices to the calves, that he had made, and he appointed priests who weren't from the sons of Levi for the pagan shrines he had made. See, at this point in the, the mafia movie, you're doing one of these. What are you doing? You're screaming at the TV screen. What are you doing? You're literally doing the same thing the last guy did, who not only lost the kingdom, but caused the kingdom, the kingdom to be divided. This is not going to end well, buddy. 
And then God sends a prophet from Judah to let Jeroboam know that his time was coming to an, to an end, that a descendant from the dynasty of David will sacrifice all the young priests from these pagan shrines, and that sign is coming. It's going to prove it. Jeroboam didn't like hearing this. No power-hungry leader about to lose everything would. And in a fit of rage, he, have, he points at the prophet and he shouts to his guards, seize that man. And instantly his hand becomes paralyzed in that position. Maybe this is why your grandmother always told you it's not polite to point your finger at someone. Kids, don't point your fingers. Back to the story. The altar cracked open and the ashes spilled out just as the man had prophesied. Jeroboam begged the man to pray to God to heal his hand. And he did. And his hand was restored. What a nice thing for God to do for someone who is blatantly disobedient. You would think that this would be a turning point, that Jeroboam would realize a change needs to take place, that he would repent of his sins and turn back to God. You would think that he would realize that as a leader, it was his responsibility to institute a new normal in his kingdom to turn his people away from idolatry and focus their hearts on God. 1 Kings 13.33 says, But even after this, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil ways. He continued to choose priests from the common people for these pagan shrines. And this was a great sin and resulted in the utter destruction of Jeroboam's dynasty from the face of the earth. You see, it's even got a classic mafia movie ending. People died and there's really no resolve. It's really quite sad, actually. It was the start of a dark time in Israel's history. Chapter 14, verses 15 and 16 say, The Lord will raise up a king over Israel who will destroy the family of Jeroboam. This will happen today, even now. Then the Lord will shake Israel like a reed whipped about in a stream. He will uproot the people of Israel from this good land that he gave their ancestors and will scatter them beyond the Euphrates River. For they have angered the Lord with the Asherah poles they have set up for worship. He will abandon Israel because Jeroboam sinned and made Israel sin along with him. A devastating new normal sets in for the nation of Israel. So what do we have to learn from all of this? Well, first, I think it's that we need to trust in God and not our own understanding. Solomon had all the wisdom the world had ever seen, but man's wisdom alone wasn't enough to dodge the temptation of sin and the consequences of disobedience. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Second, it's that in times of uncertainty and fear, we need to turn to God. We need to go back to those ancient paths that we mentioned from Jeremiah when we first started this series. With so many uncertainties, so many things swirling in our world today, it can be distracting and hard to discern the truth. It can be easy to rely on our own wisdom, to seek out the counsel of only those who agree with our own desires, and to unintentionally drift away from the leadership of the God that we serve. But one thing is for certain. We can take hope in this season, in the midst of chaos, fear, and uncertainty, because we serve a God who cares even when we don't. We serve a God who is faithful when we've lost our faith. We serve a God who is good when we're the farthest thing from it. We serve a God whose plan is foolproof. He sent his son Jesus to earth for you and me to take not only a divided kingdom, but a divided people and bring them back to unity with the Father again. It's important that we remember this in this situation, in the situations that we find ourselves in, that when we don't know which way to turn, that Jesus is the way. When we're confused and we don't know what to believe or, or who to listen to, that Jesus is the truth. And when we feel like the world is circling the drain and life as we know it is dead and gone, Jesus is the life. 
Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.